episode 78 of Bee Boomer Unleashed, today's fascination with socialism, an interview with the millennial, part two. This week, uh, we continue our look at the current fascination with socialism and why millennials are flocking to its philosophies. I'm Jerry Lake, the Unleashed Baby Boomer, and I'll be your host for today's episode and all the episodes of Bee Boomer Unleashed. Before we get into the balance of our interview with Steve Casey, let me remind you, as always, where you can find our podcast. You can always find us at beboomerunleashed.podbean.com. You can find us on iTunes and Google Play at Be Boomer Unleashed. You can find us on iHeartRadio at b.boomerunleashed. And you can find our link on Facebook, Spotify, and Instagram at Be Boomer Unleashed. And on Twitter at Be Boomer Unleash One. As always, we encourage you to drop us an email at bboomerunleashed at gmail.com. Once again, that's bboomerunleashed at gmail.com. Tell us what you think of the podcast. Uh, Give us suggestions, your comments, your criticisms, whatever you'd like to write to us. And as always, if you'd like to be a guest on the Bee Boomer Unleashed podcast, tell us something you'd like to talk about. We'll do our best to get you on our show. Well, like I said, we're going to finish up our episode that we started last week with Stephen Casey, a millennial and former student when I was principal at Huntington High School. So we're going to finish that recorded interview with Stephen today. Let's go to that interview with Stephen now. My dad dropped out of high school in the 11th grade and uh, joined the uh, military uh, to fight the uh, Japanese and the Germans. And uh, a lot of young men did that, right? And even when I was, uh, even when I was in high school, you had so much manufacturing in Huntington that uh, any young able-bodied man could drop out of high school and go to some plant in Huntington and get a great job. And then, uh, then some of us uh, went to uh, college and and did our thing. Uh, I remember sitting in Old Main um, one day, and that's back when they still had classrooms in Old Main. Yeah. And it was October, and I was looking uh, out over the front lawn of the campus there toward Fourth um, Avenue. <clears throat> and I remember thinking this thought uh, if I ever get out of this hole and get me a job making $10,000 a year, I'll be on Easy Street. And. Uh, that's how things have changed. Now, I got out of that hole. I got a degree and I got out, but my first job was $6,300 a year as a teacher. And, uh, you know, I had buddies who had been working for four years at the time for the railroad and the nickel plant and other places that were making a whole lot more money than that. But, you know, the college degree was, was the thing to have. And, you know, as baby boomers, we, you know, wanted our kids to, have it better than we did, and of course we recommended that they go to college, which maybe wasn't the best thing to do. But what happened, I think, a lot of these millennials, when when they got out of college, they saw they had a whole bunch of college debt and no job to pay it back. Yes, that that is a huge, huge thing. Uh, that's actually one of the things that I was blessed enough to not have. You know, I lived close enough to Marshall to not have to live in the dorms. Right. A huge, huge check you have to cut. And also, my grandparents helped to get me through college. You know, and I'm 
eternally grateful for that. And I right. really, really hope that in every possible way that I can, that I can pay that back to them. Um, you know, be it monetarily or any other way. Um, but anyway, though, yeah, a lot of people graduated with this, uh, this basically a, a, a house, you know, but right. without the house. Yeah, house payment, sure. Um, and it, it mounts up on you, and you you can't get away from it. You're probably going to be paying off for for the better portion of your life, and that actually knocks out the possibility of having house payments. And there you go. No millennials are buying houses, you know, and a lot of the boomers are scratching their heads and saying, why aren't you borrowing houses? Um, that's a, that's a, a chunk of why. And I think I think it's what makes socialism appealing to a lot of these folks because uh, socialists like Bernie Sanders, when he was running for president, we're going to give free college to everyone, and we're going to forgive your student loans. And yeah, it sounds good on the outside, doesn't it? Oh no, not really, because uh, at that point, you know, a college a college degree becomes a high school diploma if it right. isn't already. Right. Uh, because then it. That's just the next four years of elementary school. And then there's going to be something more exclusive that's going to pop up That's that you're going to have to do to, to set yourself apart from everybody else. And it's going to be even more expensive than college and even harder to get into. You know, it'll just be like having 13th, 14th, 15th, and 16th grade. Yeah, you're right. And, you know, you've got college students who really shouldn't be in college. And they've got pro- yes. programs to help them get through. And, you know, uh, the, again, part of this entitled uh, mentality, uh, everybody ought to go to college. Everybody should be, everybody has a right to a college, to a free college education. Well, you know, I, I agree that's with you. Free. That's, there's, there's nothing free. And, um, yeah. you know, this um, um, is, you know, troubling. Uh, at its best and catastrophic at its worst because uh, it's, um, you know, it's going to produce more people with college degrees that can't get jobs. Yeah, and it's going to, it'll severely devalue the degree itself and it'll also devalue what you actually learn. I mean, I despise bureaucracy and I despise the fact that this little piece of paper is the key to me getting a decent job or not whenever like for example teaching i was a teacher in china i do not have a teaching degree and i went through a very sink or swim type regiment basically teach well or get deported uh and i know you know not to toot my own horn but i think i could teach circles around a lot of the the degree holders today because i really had to go through some pretty heavy adversity. Um, but there's a couple of factors that I, I don't think that uh, a lot of the baby boomers take into consideration. You guys have lived through a lot more presidencies than we have. Um, and there was one particular president that was in power whenever we were in our, some of our most educationally formative years. And that would be, uh, old W. Mm-hmm. George W. Bush. Right. Um, and W., uh, by the time he got out of office, we were in a mess of two two wars. 
and we were in a mess of an economy, and the guy didn't even know how to say nuclear. Right. And so, uh, and then you got this handsome, well-spoken, educated man, Obama. Right. Coming in and saying hope and change. Right. And I got swept up in it even. I voted for the first time that I was able to vote. Uh, that was, well, yeah, I was around five. Um, and I think at that time, or before, I mean, and at that time, I think I, I voted for old Frankenstein, aka John Kerry. Right. Um, just because he wasn't Bush. And, uh, <laughs> Then I, I voted for Obama the next time around because it's like I, I I remember saying I don't think that our economy can handle another Republican president if it's going to be like W right again and uh, it was it was just a mess back then and we we just wanted to look for the alternative what can we do to get out of this mess and then the Democrats provided that alternative uh, and what is it that the Democrats kind of started becoming socialists right and that that i think is another factor there's there's a lot of factors there's a lot of nuance to it um it's not like a simple one or two thing um financial crisis 9-11 uh w the iraq war the afghanistan war uh you know college crippling debt uh and the job market becoming extremely, extremely unfriendly to employees. Uh, all these factors just kind of add up. And, you know, it, it's like capitalism is great. You're going to be in debt for the rest of your life. Your employer, you know, no matter how hard you work, no matter how faithful you are, he's just going to keep his boot on your neck. And then people say, well, just find another job. And then you're a job hopper. You can't find another job. You know, so all these things kind of add up. And then somebody's saying, well, we need to tear the system down and rebuild it our way. Socialism. And if you're not digging under the surface, then, yeah, that sounds pretty attractive. Now, there is one thing that I do agree with my generation. The system does need to be heavily reformed, <laughs> to say the least. And sure. I think the solution is I think the solution is more capitalism. Right. And uh, kind of the opposite of what they say yeah yeah it's uh anytime you get to government involved or the collective involved as the socialists like to call it uh you've got a problem uh you've got a uh, got a real problem with that but i like to say the 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 kids uh, the millennials who came up um and you know as you well know you've still got a lot of Thirty-somethings uh, uh, living in their parents' basement, and and um, a lot of that, a lot of that's because they can't find a job. But some of them is they don't want a job; they want to, you know, be be taken care of uh, the whole time. And then, of course, with socialism, uh, and, and you know, this this stimulus check and the COVID, all this mess, and you know, every kid in Cabell County got a stimulus check here a while back. Uh, Everybody qualified for a free lunch. So uh, since every kid in Cabell County is on free lunch, they all got a three hundred and some dollar check, whether they need it or not. And the uh, government, 
these socialists that are in power now, that are fighting uh, capitalism, that are fighting uh, our president at every turn and everything that he wants to do, they want us all to be on the dole. They want us all to be on, on welfare because if you control the purse strings, you control the people. And, you know, I think there's, yes. uh, I think there's three, I think there's three things that you got to do to take over a country from within. Yep. I, th- I think you have to, number one, eliminate free speech. Well, check that box off because we don't have a whole lot of free speech opportunities anymore unless hey. you're, unless you're it pounding. It could be a lot worse. Yeah, it could be. It, it, oh, yeah. I lived in China. It could be a lot worse. It could be a lot so worse. But it's, no, no, you're, you're absolutely right. It can get worse and it's getting worse. And, uh, you know, people are getting shut off of Facebook and YouTube if they have a a, um, a view that's any different from, you know, the mainstream socialist view. Number number two, they got to take your guns. They got to they got to trump on the Second Amendment and they're working on that. Now, I think that's going to be a little more difficult, but um when they want it to happen, it will. And if if the socialists gain complete power of the executive branch and the, the legislative branch and the courts, then they're going to come and, and get your guns. And, uh, you know, they're gathering all this metadata on people now. And they, you know, they know what's, they know what's what. I think if they come into power, there's going to be a lot of voting accidents. Oh, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely, and uh, then then uh, uh, then the third thing I got to do is control cash, and yes. we're rapidly and this COVID is helping with that, you know, because it's going to come to the point where, well, that old money's too nasty to handle, you know, so everything's got to be digital, everything's got to be digital, and uh, you can't use that cash what you've got. So, you know, we talked earlier when we were talking about socialism, and I'd like to make a point here and see what you think about it. Sure. Um, we have a, uh, a system where we're making debt that we can't possibly pay for. You know, Pelosi and her goons are wanting to do another stimulus package and, you know, they're wanting to hand out more welfare and at the tune of trillions of dollars. So, you know, the obvious question is, well, how do you pay for that? How do you pay for that when manufacturing's in the toilet, businesses, uh, Main Street's in the toilet, Wall Street's in the toilet? How, how do you pay for that? Well, I got, to, I got to doing a little research, and it gets back to this thing of private property under socialism there's no private property. Right. Yeah. So in 401k plans alone, Stephen, just in the mm-hmm. 401k plans in this country, yeah. there's over $8 trillion. Whoa. Just in 401k plans. You add to that corporate retirement, IRAs, personal savings, um, annuities, cash value and life insurance. Yes, sir. All of these liquid assets, you've got to be over thirty trillion 
got to be over $30 trillion. I, I haven't been able to come up with a, with a fact for that, but probably closer to $50 trillion. But, you know, give or take $20 trillion, you know, what's the big deal when you're talking about that kind of money? So if the socialists take over and my retirement money is just a number, I can't cash it in and put it in a, in, a, in a fireproof box inside of a fireproof safe because they're not going to let me use the cash anymore. It's all going to be cashless. It's going to be digital. So they raid the 401ks, they raid the retirement plans, and they say, Big Brother, as George Orwell said, is going to take care of you. And uh, that's how they take care of all the debt because all that money's laying out there and it actually belongs to individuals, but under socialism and ultimately communism, there there are no, there is no private property or personal property. What do you think? Nor are there individuals. Right. Yeah. I, I don't know if I said this before, but I I define communism as the absolute surrender of individual sovereignty. Right. Um, but yeah. So. Uh, what, what was that? Was that uh, your whole thing, or, or is there more to it? I, I don't well, that's that, that's enough. That's enough. Okay. You know. Uh, so, so what do you think? Uh, I mean, that's that that would certainly pay for it. What do you think? I that is actually a very very insightful thing. I hadn't really considered all these uh, untouchables. You know, these untouchable liquid assets. I guess I guess maybe my my own perspective is a bit too narrow because I'm just thirty. 33 years old and haven't really can gone that far down the road just yet, you know, but it's ironic because I'm a life insurance agent and on the life insurance side, I'm helping people prep for future, a certain future inevitability. <laughs> but, right. Uh, yeah. That, that's a lot of money. And that's a lot of money that's sitting out there waiting to be claimed by people who were responsible enough to buy into it to take it. Um, and yeah, whenever, Whenever somebody has this absolute power, the first thing that they're going to do is they're going to drain the coffers, all the rainy day fund. Um, you know, things are going to be great for about a year. Right. And then my generation is going to say, see, see how great this socialism is. You know, there's no hate speech anymore. Um, and also we all get everything for free. Yeah. How flowery. And then about a year later, um, they're going to start taken debt, you know, kind of like what Venezuela did to the, and to the point that their uh, currency is valueless, you know. Um, and then, yeah, I think that they're going to be like, well, no, we have cash, but we don't have it. The people do. Right. But that's private property. So it's the people's money now. Now it's the people's 401k. Right. So, yeah, I, I, definitely definitely see them using that angle um and that that is horrifying that is absolutely terrifying to think of but yeah that that, that sounds about like how it would go uh wow because yeah. once the millennials once the millennials are in control and, and make no mistake we baby boomers are dying off um matter yes. of fact i, I yeah. just about bought the farm on may the third but uh, I think I've lived to survive a little while longer, thanks thanks to a miracle that God provided in my life. But that being said, that being said, 
uh, this generation, you know, I've people in my generation, most of us. Now there are some that have been on the well in my generation have been on the welfare dole their whole lives, basically. Yeah. Uh, but uh, that's the minority. That's the minority. Most folks in my generation have done nothing but work their entire lives. You know, I got my first job when I was 13 working in a gas station. You had to be 16 to work in a gas station, but I always looked older, so I I worked in a a gas station for 50 cents an hour in 1963. And once I was about 18... I always worked at least two jobs, and I and I worked two jobs until about 2014, uh, when I sold a business, and uh, at that time I was personnel manager at the uh, Board of Ed, and um, I that's that's the first time since I was about 18 that I only worked one job. So I worked my entire life to save back for retirement. So now I'm retired. I've got a very comfortable retirement fund, but this new generation, you know, and I've got a house that's paid for, you know, I've got a cars that are paid for, a boat and a camper that are paid for, you know, I don't owe uh, any money on anything except for my utilities and my taxes. And, but this new group, they want everything that I've worked my entire life for, and they want it now. And and it's yeah, no that, it's no problem to take it from me. And, you know, they say, well, look at that fat cat. Look at all the money he's got, and I don't have any, so I think I should have part of his, you know. It's a race to the bottom. Uh, yeah, just the, the, the least common denominator, that's the standard that we all want to hit. You're above that standard, so they're going to they're gonna pull it out of you until they slightly raise up the least common denominator and drop everybody else down to that level. Right. Um, now, there is one little thing that I would like to point out. You said that uh, you were working two jobs for most of the time uh, and all this other stuff. Uh, for us, if we if we try to work two jobs, when both of the jobs find out, they'll fire us. Uh, yeah, that's sad. And... Yeah, and so it, and <laughs> the system that we live under now is very, very different from the system under which you live. Uh, and I'm sure that back then work was a lot more fulfilling as well. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I, I can tell you one thing that you never had to sit through at work that I've had to sit through multiple times. Um, and that's, uh, <laughs> you're going to laugh at this, is uh, diversity and inclusion meetings. <laughs> right. Um, right. And it just, it's just so stupid. They yeah. talk to us like we're children. They had no respect for us. Of course, you know, we're gonna, we're not gonna find any kind of fulfillment with work. Of mm. course, and then what you get out of work is money, and we're not getting much of that either. Well, so, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're absolutely right, Stephen. And, and you know, it's been over a year ago now. I did a series on generational differences, and yeah. We started out, I think, with the greatest generation at World War II bunch, my dad's generation, and and their philosophy was they worked to live. In other words, if they didn't work, they didn't eat. There was, you know, there was no welfare state back then. They had to work if they were going to live. Then my generation comes along, and we live to work. 
we, we worked as many hours as we could, took as much overtime as we could get. Uh, you know, we uh, bought as many shiny things as we could. Uh, everybody, you know, had to have a house and have it paid for and, and uh, two cars in the garage and, a, you know, uh, the latest and greatest, you know, so keeping up with the Joneses. So we lived to work. The new generation, they work to play. You know, they, they have things that they like to do, and work is not one of them for most 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 millennials, not all. But they work just enough to get their play money. You know, if I can get it on three days a week, why do I need to work four or five? And so, you know, I'm, I'm living at home. Mom and Dad are paying the groceries, you know. Uh, and I've never seen, you know, when I, my generation, Stephen, um, you know, we were sitting in the parking lot of the Department of Motor Vehicles when the clock ticked over to our 16th birthday. And we were down there getting the driver's license. Now kids, they don't even want a driver's license. They're 18, 19, 20 years old and, and no driver. I'll never understand that. But anyway. I, I was waiting for the clock to tick over to my 15th birthday. <laughs> to get your learner's permit. Yeah. Oh, my 16th birthday, I could finally drive by myself. That was yeah. so free, so much freedom. Well, Stephen, we're about out of time here, I think, and uh, we're going to go ahead and wrap it up here. But, man, it's been great having you on the show. Appreciate you coming on and talking from a, from a millennial's perspective on this thing. And and I think, um, you know, I think we've got a lot to think about and digest. And, you know, there's, um, um, I, I just don't know how we stem the tide you got any ideas on that? How do we stem the tide? Uh, the way that we stem the tide um, is uh, do your work, uh, get a gun, learn how to use it. Right. Uh, uh, just, just keep keep propping society up because uh, the, it needs people to do so. Don't don't let the media get you down. Uh, this is it's all a it's all a mind game. Right. Um, it, it, they want us to think that it's all doom and gloom, that we're hitting the apocalypse. And so that makes people just want to give up and not keep uh, working to make things better. And then these uh, bought and paid for riots, uh, they're going to keep going until, you know, we say enough's enough. And you'll maybe have some some real rights activists locking hands and defending these statues. Right. You know, maybe they're going to get an egg on their face, maybe a milkshake, maybe a paintball or two. But then you're going to start making these. The left is all about optics. You know, once you give them bad optics, they're going to get shut down. Right. That's how you tamp it down. Just make sure to keep up the bad optics on them, the good optics on yourself, decent, hardworking, good folk. Yep. And like I said, you know, get a gun. Learn to use it. A lot of people are doing that. Watch your, watch your six, right? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Uh, you know, you gotta, you got to protect yourself. Yes, you um, do. Especially these days. Um, well, especially also, with this move to defund the police, who are you going to call? Yeah. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to call your 9mm. Right. Um, but, and I think another parting thought that I would have is, uh, you know, the... Sun Tzu, in the art of war, uh, he was all about outmaneuvering your enemy and knowledge being power, right? Um, so if you start looking into the things that these people 
uphold as sacred, like Solowinski's Rules for Radicals. It might make you sick to read it, but it will definitely help you to put some context behind what they're doing and see that it's all a concerted effort. It's not, it's not a natural grassroots movement. It's not evolving naturally. It's all, it all makes sense whenever you put some context around it. Read 1984. Read Rules for Radicals. Read Marx. You know, he wrote the playbook. You know, Karl Marx for sure. But uh, yeah, so you you've got the coach's playbook on the other side of the field, just sitting there right there in front of you. So if to anybody, uh, I don't know how many people listen to your show, but to all of them, I recommend read those books and then just take a step back and think about it, how the things are moving along according to the plan, and. Uh, a name that I want to throw out there, uh, very, very important name, uh, Yuri Bezmenov. I don't know if you've heard of him. Uh, yeah, but I've never read anything from this guy. You don't need to read anything. Just go to YouTube, type in Yuri Bezmenov. Okay. Uh, he was he was a former KGB uh, operative working for the Soviet Union, and he defected to the U.S. And uh, he, he talks about... Uh, the psyops that the Soviet Union was running on us. And uh, the Soviet Union may be gone, but once you listen to what he said, you'll find that the ghost of the Soviet Union is very much alive. Oh, yeah. Um, and they've infiltrated academia. They've infiltrated Hollywood. They, they're the ones who disseminate knowledge, and that's what the Soviet Union wanted to infiltrate, and they did it. And now we're seeing the results a couple of generations later. Right. So Yuri Bezmenov. Okay. Watch it. Watch that video. All right. Sounds sounds like a winner. Well, Steve, it's been great having you on Be Boomer Unleashed, and uh, maybe sometime we'll get back together again and talk about something else. What do you think? Is that okay? Yeah, yeah. I'm hoping that uh, maybe next time we can we can trade some fishing tactics or uh, maybe talk guns or something. Yeah, well, sure. We can do that. We can talk about yeah, anything. Yeah. That That's the neat thing about... Uh, having a non-monetized podcast where you don't have any sponsors where you pay for it yourself. You don't have to ask anybody what you can talk about. You just talk. So exactly. anyway, well, my friend, it's been a pleasure. Uh, give my pleasure give you. my best to your lovely wife, Yame, and we'll see you soon, okay? And my best to your lovely wife, uh, Sherry, as well. Okay, thanks, Steve. God bless you. Well, that pretty well wraps it up for today's episode of Bee Boomer Unleashed. Hopefully, you enjoyed the rest of that interview with Stephen and a nice young man and a very bright, intelligent young millennial. And we were certainly glad to have him on the show. And hopefully we can get together again and talk about something else one day. Well, that's all we have for this week, folks. Next week, we're going to continue this discussion, take just a little direction. We're going to look at some failed experiments in socialism, some failed experiments in socialism, and see what you think about these folks who have tried socialism at one time or another, and it always ends in disaster. Well, listen, it's been great being with you. I hope you'll tune into the podcast again next week, but until then, have a great week, and may God bless each and every one of you. Goodbye. Goodbye.